I'm Sandra, and I'm just the professional your small business was looking for. But you didn't hire me because you didn't use LinkedIn jobs. LinkedIn has professionals you can't find anywhere else, including those who aren't actively looking for a new job, but might be open to the perfect role, like me. In a given month, over 70% of LinkedIn users don't visit other leading job sites. So if you're not looking on LinkedIn, you'll miss out on great candidates like Sandra. Start hiring professionals like a professional. Post your free job on linkedin.com slash people today. Selling a little or a lot? Shopify helps you do your thing however you cha-ching. Shopify is the global commerce platform that helps you sell at every stage of your business. From the launch your online shop stage to the first real-life store stage. All the way to the did we just hit a million orders stage. Shopify is there to help you grow. Shopify helps you turn browsers into buyers with the Internet's best converting checkout. 36% better on average compared to other leading commerce platforms. Because businesses that grow, grow with Shopify. Get a $1 per month trial period at shopify.com slash work. Shopify.com slash work. The Telegraph. The Telegraph. Podcasts. So this week on Mad World, I am honoured to have Becky Vardy. Now, I don't want to describe you as the wife of Jamie Vardy because that's what you tend to get described as. And you're more than that, which is why we've got you on the podcast. Yeah, well, you everyone, are your wife. Oh, yeah. Everyone uh, says that I'm used to that. But I, yeah, it's I, nice to be known as myself. You were on I'm a Celebrity. Yes. Last year. Which sounds make it makes it sound like it was ages already. ago. Yeah, it was only a couple of months ago. You were in the jungle. Yeah. So nice to have you on here. Thank you. You're also mother me. of four. Mother of four crazy children. How know. old are they? My eldest is thirteen this year. Um, eight years old, three years old, and Finley's just turned one. Happy birthday, I Finley! You can have more. Oh, do you know what? We were discussing this the other day and um, I said, oh, I can't believe Finley's one now. And Jamie was like, well, they do have to grow up. <laughs> I said, yeah, I'm well aware of that. I said, what are we going to do? Snow babies. I absolutely love children. Children are my world. I love big families. My dad was one of five. Mm-hmm. So I've been used to being in a Portuguese family where it's full on and dinners are quite crazy, loud speaking, you know, very Mediterranean. And Jamie said to me, I don't think that's such a good idea. And the practicality of it probably wouldn't be, but we can all envisage and dream, can't we? There's nothing wrong with that. Empty babies. I've only got one and she's nearly five and I'm like, I need to have another one. Because the baby thing is just... It is. And it's that whole idea of having a new baby again. But you can't keep having kids just for the sake of having newborn babies, (laughs) can you? You have to start somewhere. We like to ask everyone who comes on this podcast, how are you? Now, not just like, hey, how are you? Right, let's move on. But how are you really right now? How are you feeling? I have good and bad days. I'm not going to lie. When I came out of the jungle, I really struggled for Mm -hmm. quite a few weeks just to adapt back into normality, if there is such a thing as normality (laughs) these days. But today, as I sit here talking to you, I'm really good. I'm in a good place. Yay! So, Becky, you went into the jungle. I'll talk a bit about that. I, I found what was fascinating about that is that you have the most incredibly interesting story. You're a survivor. I mean, you really are a survivor. And I felt, and tell me if I'm wrong, and if you don't want to talk about this, just say, no, I don't want to talk about this. I felt that you were sort of quite unfairly 
Someone wrote a piece, actually, which I loved, which is that you're a survivor, but because you're the wife of a footballer, you're getting kind of picked out. Yeah. And there was sort of bullying staff, which wasn't really... Nonsense. Wasn't really bullying staff. How does it feel to go into one of those reality shows and the editing? Like, I'm fascinated by what the reality of reality, quote-unquote, TV is like. So I've never done anything like that before. And I went into doing that show completely. I was so naive. I thought that I would be portrayed in a fair way but you knew you, knew you were gonna have to eat critters and do oh the yeah scary of course stuff. yeah that was standard which you we did with gonna, the plot yeah. let me just say but the thing is though i would never have agreed to do that show if i wasn't prepared to put myself through those situations but also give it a hundred percent as well i would never have gone on a show and wimped out at the first obstacle because that's just not me i like, like literally <laughs> <laughs> no comment i'm literally will fight for other people and you know I'd like to think that's what I did well how did you feel well I mean kind of I know I saw in your own words how did you feel when you came out well when I came out I felt and I was genuinely devastated not bully never have been a bully god if you can't give an opinion on a show about something that had happened in there then you know the world's a crazy place Mm -hmm. I'm opinionated and there's a fine line isn't there between having an opinion and taking that opinion too far mm-hmm. I know where to draw the line with it and personally I don't think I took it for too far I could have said a lot worse things mm-hmm. there's no bad feelings between you and Ian Lee or anything. no there's no bad feelings between Ian and I I sent everyone Christmas presents as well and in fact Ian and I've had quite a frank conversation about what we've been through when we came out because we both found it really quite tough mm. I found it extremely hard getting back into reality as I know he did as well and we used to send each other messages saying do you feel like this today and I used to say I do actually I feel like I'm someone stuck in my body Mm -hmm. and I couldn't quite put a finger on it and I think it's really hard going from being so isolated with a group of people for so long and then coming back into the real world having to deal with the negative media having to deal with a full-on attention and having to reintegrate yourself back into society, it mm. was bloody tough, really hard. And anyone that tries to sugarcoat it obviously doesn't know what they're talking about or has never been through it. My friend um, Shappy did it. Her Facebook was hilarious <laughs> afterwards. And you seem to have got on quite well. Shappy and I get on really yeah, well. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I got asked to do Celebrity Big Brother before Christmas and I was like, I thought about it for a moment and then I thought, no, because I'll go and meet them and they'll say a figure and I'll think, side return. (laughs) (laughs) And then my career will be over. Um, That's definitely a show I would never do. I love I'm a Celebrity and I think it's gone from being this sort of thing that everyone used to be really snooty about and just everyone loves it. It's become like a national treasure of a show. It's an amazing opportunity and, you know, I'm really thankful that I was given the chance to be able to go on a show like that because it's not every day that you get to spend time living in a jungle. A jungle. Yeah, it's a money can't buy that sort of experience. So, you know, there's lots of people that would love to do it. So you spoke quite frankly about postnatal depression on the show, but people get it mixed up and they go, oh, it's just the baby blues. It's not, is no, it? No, it's not. It can be really, really serious. I think for me, it was being in a bad relationship, not being able to trust the person I was with being made to feel like I was completely nuts. The things that I'd seen and read and, you know, on his phone and on Facebook and things didn't exist. 
And I think it goes back to when I was younger. I think I struggled for with mental health for years and years before I ever realised that I actually had a problem because I always had it installed in me that I was a problem child, that mm. I had issues, but they were not... They were me. They yes, were part so you, of me. So, so they wasn't... Just a, you were a, you were yeah. just a, a faulty person. Black sheep of the family, I like yeah, to call it. Yeah, yeah, yeah. So a lot that'll resonate with a lot of people. <laughs> so it wasn't until... I had my second child that I knew that something really wasn't right with me. I was scared to take him near a window because every time I took him near a window or just stood looking out of the window with him, I could see him falling and I could see him on the floor. And it used to give me really bad panic attacks, anxiety. And then I started having visions and seeing things so I went to what kind of visions and what were you seeing it was all to do with the baby intrusive thoughts intrusive visions yeah, horrible really things negative nasty things that would wake you up in the middle of the night having cold sweats wondering whether that was going to happen to your child wondering mm-hmm. whether you were capable of of hurting your child of hurting your child oh yeah I've you know that's which co- god people, I would never do well, that well no but. of course but this, this is a really important thing to be talking about Becky because actually it happens I was talking to another woman the other day who was saying no one taught us about intrusive thoughts and the fear that oh my god what if I could what if I killed my own child what if I did this it doesn't mean that you're going to like we all have random thoughts we are not our thoughts but it's that sudden panic and no one talks about that because well why would they but they should do completely so I just got to the point where I was just crying all the time crying 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 didn't want to get out of bed didn't want to deal with my child and I already had one that was Meg's she was three years old at this point and I just couldn't cope And it wasn't I couldn't cope with being a mum. It was I couldn't cope because there was some serious imbalancement going on within me. Mm. So I went to the doctors and I have to say the doctors were useless. Mm -hmm. They just wanted to palm me off with antidepressants straight away without sending me to a counsellor. And, you know, I know sometimes the NHS are stretched, but I don't think always the answer is medication first. Mm -hmm. I think you need to dig deeper and get to the bottom of people's problems before we start prescribing medication left, right and Mm centre. Because these tablets are hard to get off once you're on. Mm -hmm. Yeah, antidepressants are bloody dangerous. Once you're on them, you get into a cycle of feeling like you can't live without them. So the doctor prescribed me with a really strong set of antidepressants and I never took them. I was scared because I'd seen my dad go through problems before and be on antidepressants and it take over his life. And I thought, I can't allow it to happen to me. So I didn't take them. And I gradually managed to get myself better by focusing on going to the gym and channeling that negative energy into positive. And it wasn't until my second little boy got to, he was about one, that everything started falling apart around me. My relationship, because he was cheating, messaging other women, making it out to be my fault that I was the problem. So I then thought, okay, I can't trust you. What do I do? I had two children to look after at that point. I can't. I thought, I can't just allow myself to crumble. So I went back to the doctors. And this time I had a really good doctor and she was really sympathetic and she said, I don't want to prescribe you antidepressants to begin with. I want you to have therapy. Mm-hmm. And I said, 
I think I need tablets. And it was the, the first point in my life that I actually thought I need something drastic to help mm. me. And she put me on antidepressants reluctantly and then sent me off on a course of CBT therapies, which helped me massively. But I think at that point, I'd carried myself for long enough mm. that I then began to crumble because I think there's only so much that you can carry on and push yourself through before everything yeah. crumbles around you. You've got to sit with the feelings sometimes and not just blank them out. And I think it's interesting what you said about antidepressants because I think they absolutely have to be used in conjunction with Definitely. other things. They are not yeah. the be-all and end-all. I mean, no. I take them because I have chronic obsessive compulsive disorder, but I do other stuff But as there's well. nothing wrong with them. And that's the point I was trying to make. There's nothing wrong with tablets as long as... as they're not the only They're answer. not the only I totally answer. agree. And I think so often what happens is doctors go, here, because they're, you know, stressed. Yeah, they because go, it's easy. Take that, and then there's no other thing. And then, you're, as you said, you're stuck on them. And there's no advice on how to get off them, because you do no. have to be very careful. Well, I was really stupid, actually, because after I, after I was on them for about six months, I just come off them. Oh, I my just God. completely stopped. Did you get the brain zaps? I can't remember what I went through, but it wasn't... Coming off antidepressants pleasant. is a real bitch. People it's don't talk about this. so dangerous to just go, I'm going cold, cold turkey. turkey. I did that when I got pregnant. I thought, well, I mustn't take these tablets. Stop taking them. I yeah. mean, my I don't know how my husband didn't... Well, he, he wasn't my husband at the time. He was just my boyfriend. I don't know how he became my husband. <laughs> he didn't walk away. I was mental. but I think I probably was at the time, but I just didn't register it. But I'm off them. I've not taken tablets for a very long time. And I really advocate strong body, strong mind. And I really think that physical exercise, whether it's just getting outside for a walk, mm-hmm. you know, whether it's taking the kids to the park if you've got children, the dog for a walk if you've got a dog, anything that stimulates your brain instead of being sat inside your home or wherever you live, it really helps. Mm-hmm. It's different stimulation, isn't it? And for me, it's the gym. The gym, it works my endorphins, gets my blood pumping around my body and it makes me feel good. Mm-hmm. Sometimes I don't want to go because I'm knackered, but I force myself and I feel so good afterwards. Because you know that you'll never... I, I always say this, I don't ever want to go for a run. Oh, but God, who does? But I know that I'll never regret <laughs> afterwards yeah, going for it. because you feel so good, yeah. don't you? And it's you feel, your energy and You feel proud of yourself. And sometimes I've been up in the night when Finley's not been well for... I've had two hours sleep and I think the last thing I want to do is go and do a high intensity training session. But when I've done it, It I come out and think, I did it. Something else I can be proud of. Sometimes when you're tired, the best thing to do is go and do some exercise. Definitely. There's so much to your story that I would like to hear. You've kind of worked your way out of abuse, domestic abuse. We have to be quite careful how we deal with this one. I was abused as a child mm-hmm. well not a child I was it started when I was 12 um, you are a child at 12 yeah I guess so see that's one of the things as well because when it happened to me it was almost like I wasn't a child at the time because I was always made to feel that I was older than what I was mm-hmm. because I was the eldest I guess I was looked up to so a lot of things happened during that time and I started to become a problem at school And my mum put me being a problem at school down to me just being a pain in the backside Mm -hmm. and just an all-round problem child. Now, as a mum myself, I know if my child's behaviour changes at school, at home, there's a reason for this. Mm. 
it doesn't just happen for no reason. And usually there's a problem. Mm. And I would automatically look to try and find what that problem is. Unfortunately, she didn't want to do that. Mm-hmm. So this went on for a good couple of years. Never said anything to anyone. Just used to bunk off school all the time and get caught smoking. Taking alcohol into school, which I wouldn't advise anyone to do. <laughs> but yeah, just being an all-round pain in the arse, really. But looking back, it was a cry for help, really. Mm-hmm. And I had no one that was able to provide that help for me. I eventually got to the end of my tether and thought, you know, I can't deal with this anymore. I've just had enough because I think something just in me just said, enough, you can't go on. I I tried to commit suicide. Another cry for help. What, I took, how, you were um, quite young, weren't you? 14? Yeah, I was 14 at the time. was never taken to the doctors, was never taken to hospital or anything like that. Was just made to sit it out. Luckily for me... I came through that, but there's lots of people that do that for a cry of help, and Mm. unfortunately they don't make it. Mm. So I eventually told my mum what had been happening to me, and, you know, she didn't believe me. Got my nan, my granddad, God bless him, um, to come down and speak to me and have a few conversations with me about it and basically tried to make it that it was all in my head and it wasn't happening and it never happened. And I think those situations are really, really sad because as a mum myself, if my child ever came to me and said that, what I told her, Mm. not in a million years would I ever... Respond like that. Respond like that, but doubt my child... Talk a bit about how it's like to be silenced, basically. To pluck up the courage to tell your mum in the first yeah. place takes a lot of guts, and that's hard. And it's, and then to then not be believed, it's horrible. Yeah, it was just like I had nowhere to turn at that point, and I really genuinely didn't know what to do with my life. I then got kicked out of home at 15, literally with a bin liner, off you go, <laughs> you're on your own. So I then had to fend for myself started working in a bar underage mm-hmm. back then I don't think people really cared really cared you'd never get away with what I did then now and I slept on friends sofas and I, I'm one of the lucky ones because there's so many people that become homeless that don't have friends at the sofas they can sleep on and they they have nowhere to go and then therefore revert to living on the street luckily for me I had people around me i.e. other friends families that didn't want that to happen to me um did you ever i mean were you in contact with your mum during that time or was it like you're you're now 15 we didn't speak for quite a while we don't talk now Mm -hmm. the situation's really sad it really is but it really used to really upset me i think i've just got to the point in my life where you can't fight for something if there's nothing to fight for Mm-hmm. And there is nothing to fight for now. It's gone past the point of ever being able to be resolved. It's hard, and I don't think about it anymore because I just think there's too much in my life that I'm thankful for. Yeah. That I should be positive about to let any negative creep back in. I've got four wonderful children, got a wonderful husband, and that's my focus now. That's such a good attitude. 
It's yeah. so nice. It's taken a while to get there. Mm, of course. <laughs> <laughs> if only we were all born with such an attitude. Yeah. <laughs> I know. So you were living on people's sofas. Yeah. And still a child, really, yourself, even though you may not have felt... At that age, we all kind of feel a bit yeah. to a certain extent. I just think now, I look back and I tried to block that part of my life out because I just look back and it makes me feel physically sick because I think I was the same age as my eldest, Megan. Mm. And I just think, my God, imagine her in that situation now. How did I ever survive that? And... That baffles me because I actually don't know how I managed to get through that. Mm. Because it was tough. It was really tough. So how old were you when you had Megan? I was 23 when I had Megs. Okay, so you were working in a bar. Yeah. Sort of talk me through the years from... Oh God, my life's been a mess, probably up until about four and a half years ago. (laughs) Do you know what? My life was a mess until about two years ago. (laughs) We're doing well, aren't we? Exactly. (laughs) But the point is, it doesn't matter. Everyone's life is a mess. Do you know what I mean? No one's perfect. That's what life's about. We were all born with very neat, orderly lives. Bloody hell. You know, it sounds like a cliche and it sounds really corny, but that's what makes you you. Those experiences. And I I honestly... Honestly, you're right with what you just said there. And I honestly believe that if I hadn't gone through those experiences, I probably wouldn't be the person I am today. Those experiences have made me tough. It's made me strong. Okay, I can be really quite miserable sometimes, but can who you? can't? Oh, well, yeah. Depression. Mardi Vardy. Was that what they call you, Mardi <laughs> Vardy? But I think it's more of a kind of barrier that goes up. Mm-hmm. I am a nice person. I am lovely and I'm completely different at home to what I'm portrayed to be in the media, like this stern, tough, miserable cow. That's not me behind closed doors. I think it's just a barrier that goes up. Just to, It's a protective mechanism. To stop people from yeah. getting inside. Yeah. I spoke to the psychiatrist about this before I went in the jungle and she said, we need to sort this out. And I said, what do you mean need to sort it out? I'm absolutely fine. And she said, you can't go on fighting this internal battle. And I said, I'm not fighting an internal battle. She said, you are, you just don't realise it. And now I just deal with things head on. I don't even think about it. I just go into full fight mode, Mm -hmm. which sometimes is probably not the right thing to do. But that's all I know what to do. So, sorry, so bring you back into kind of, so life was a mess, yeah. as it so very often is. Can you sort of talk through that? Sometimes, and what I love about this podcast is that even though sometimes these things can be really tough to talk about, and no one likes the fact that other people have experienced the same things as them, but there is that sort of, that feeling of, oh God, I'm not. I'm not a freak. I'm not alone. This has happened to other people. To know, because you're so beautiful, the way you carry yourself, appearances can be deceptive. Do you know what I mean? I wouldn't look at you and think, oh, yeah, she's had a... Yeah. Her life's been a, was a mess why, till four years ago. That's why you should never judge a book by its cover, well, exactly. cover, because you just don't know what battles people are fighting or have fought. People are mysteries, mm. and no one should read and think, oh, I know that person inside out, because actually you probably only know 0.5%. So talk about some of the battles that you've been through. So the homelessness was one big battle. Being married so young was also another massive mistake. I think all my mistakes come back to me trying to find security, Mm -hmm. which I didn't have. 
trying to find someone that was going to love me trying to find someone to say to me it's going to be okay you don't have to do this on your own and unfortunately for me I ended up with the wrong people and Mm. it happens to so many people and I get judged because I've got two kids with other men okay well there's lots of people that have children with other partners you don't know the reasons why people's relationships fail Mm. you don't know what that person's gone through why as a nation are we so quick to judge Judge, judgmental i hate that being in this world this crazy world has taught me that i don't ever judge anyone Mm. i used to we're all guilty of that crime Mm. at some point in our lives And I just think you just don't know who that person is. And you can read about someone in magazines. You can read about someone in a newspaper. That doesn't mean you know them. Mm. How young were you when you got married? I was 18 years old. Okay, that's young. Yeah, that's young and completely stupid. And What were you thinking, Becky? No, tell me I know. Do you know what? I probably wasn't even thinking. I probably was just grateful because at that point his mum and dad had taken me in. I felt... You felt you needed a heart and a home. Yeah, well, apparently I found my engagement ring in a magazine and said he had to buy it. (laughs) Load of crap. Is that what does that... No, that's load of lies, but that's what he said in an interview, which I did actually laugh about because I thought, oh my God, at least tell the truth. But people don't know how to tell the truth, do they? What's it like to have your... Because we all make mistakes in the past. And I think if people from my past came back and started being paid money to kind of list all my faults, there isn't enough paper in the world to print that on (laughs) for a start. But also, as you said, people aren't objective. We're human. None of us are perfect. No. Also, there's such a negativity to someone selling a story about you and about your past and about what you used to be. There's a sort of sense of wanting to drag someone down and say, you don't deserve to be on that pedal still. You don't deserve to do that. It's such a profoundly negative I way to I know, how pathetic that someone that I used to have a relationship with and was married to felt the need to come out in the media from a relationship when I was 18. I mean, God, you must be desperate if you want to talk about someone from that long ago Mm. or you need your ego massaged. But, you know, without sounding hypocritical, I have to address this because otherwise people are going to go, well, you did it. And, yeah, I did sell a story on someone and I regret it. I'll regret it till the day I die. But the situation surrounding why I did that is completely different to the situation surrounding why they would have done it. So what was the situation for you? Um, Basically, I got forced into doing a story on someone because the person that I was with at the time was abusive towards me and made me do it for financial gain. And you were under that person's spell? Yeah. So being in an abusive relationship, that's more interesting to me than who the story was about. My first relationship was an abusive one when I was 19. And um, I maintain this kind of thing that a lot of my relationships, they were probably the most accurate way to see my mental health at the time because now I feel strong enough. I feel I've got enough self-esteem and that kind of behaviour. I would I would go, what are you thinking about? I'd go away. But actually people like that, they feed on vulnerable people. They're vampires. Yeah. I remember my boyfriend, he was really good looking. He was really funny, you know, and I was like, wow, why is he going for me? Because, (laughs) because I had no self-esteem and I was deeply insecure and I was, you know, trying to explain to people those relationships and often people think, well, no one can force you into doing anything. Oh, yes, they can. Yeah, they can. And I think people also think that when you say you've been in an abusive relationship, they automatically think someone's literally 
knocked you around with their fists, tried to stab you, etc. But abuse comes in all shapes and forms mm-hmm. and abuse is not just physical, it's mental as well. And when someone's mentally abusive towards you, that can be sometimes more damaging than physical. Well, it is. Enti- I mean, all abusive relationships are entirely mental. So how long were you in a relationship with this person for? Nearly six years. Wow. Yeah, a lot of it started, you know, putting me down, calling me names, just generally trying to control my whole life, which to an extent he did manage to do. And then leading on from that, which quite often happens in relationships that were mentally abusive, became really aggressive and hurt me quite a few times. Mm-hmm. It doesn't matter how many years away you get from it, it's still... I still have dreams about my ex-boyfriend. He appears in my... Not not like fans. He appears... Like, my husband will kind of morph into him and I'm like, oh, my God! It doesn't matter how many years away you get from it, it's still... It's ingrained in you, isn't mm. it? It's part of what's happened in your past. But unfortunately, you take it into your future with you because you can't erase that. It's what you went through. It's what happened to you and it'll always be with me. Mm. The same as what I went through as a teenager well as a child going into my teens you can never shake off what's happened to you it's part of your DNA yeah so to speak but do you think because obviously the psychiatrist saying to you before you went into the jungle you need to confront this do you think that maybe some like real kind of what they call it psychoanalysis can be really helpful if I'm honest I do think there's probably things that I need to do but it's that whole admitting again that okay, maybe you're not as stable as you'd like to be. I'm not saying I'm completely nuts on the way. (laughs) (laughs) But yeah, I think there's things that we can all do to help ourselves. But we've just got to be strong enough and willing enough to ask for help. How do you speak to your children about mental health and about, A, the crazy kind of life that on the face fit you guys lead and having to sort of ground them and also just seeing you in the jungle and and the way you're portrayed in one way and knowing that you're very different at home how do you kind of start a conversation with them about all of that well my eldest is probably the only one that really I would have a conversation openly about that the others are too young you kind of skirt around issues Mm. although my eight-year-old is starting to ask questions now and One of the things that the psychiatrist said to me in relation to when's the right time to have that conversation or have a conversation that may be a bit uncomfortable with your children is when they start asking questions. Because when they start asking questions, they're old enough to understand the answer as long Mm -hmm. as it's dealt with in the correct manner. And, Mm -hmm. you know, you answer it in a way that is suitable for a child to understand. Mm -hmm. So it is quite hard in relation to having those conversations with my eldest because she's really sensitive and things do affect her and she's got access to social media and Mm -hmm. she can go on the internet. She doesn't have Facebook and Twitter and stuff like that. She's got a private Instagram account, which she's old enough to have. But I won't allow her to have anything else because I think there's so much pressure this day and age for girls especially Mm. to conform and to be in a certain way, look a certain way that... I don't want her to ever feel pressured to be that person. Because you've had that. You've been like, I hate the word fat ashamed because, you know, you're not fat. But after you had a baby, you were quite like, I'm still like you about it. How do you deal with that? I just think some people are idiots, complete idiots. There's people that troll me 
and troll other people that are in the public eye for fun and for a reaction. But you know what? I'd love to sit in a room with some of the people that have said really horrible things to me. And I would love to see what sort of people they are. And I would love to see whether they've got children. Mm. Because at the end of the day, I'm someone's wife. I'm someone's mother. And that person that's hurling the abuse at me, calling me names, saying horrific things about my kids... I think it's all about catching people out and I have Mm. started to do that recently. Someone made a negative comment on one of my Instagram posts and people can be really quite silly sometimes with what public information they share. So I thought, you know what, I'm I'm taking a stand against this. So I went through this person's Instagram account. Within five minutes, found out where they worked. Mm Mm-hmm. So I got their place of work. What did they say on what was their comment? Um, So it was just a really horrible comment, which I'm not even going to repeat because it was just nasty. And I thought, I'm just going to let your employees know the sort of person that you are Mm -hmm. and the sort of things that you're writing on someone's Instagram when your profile's so public. So I called their employers and asked to speak to their HR manager. Wow. And what happened? I had a conversation with them. They were a law firm. Wow! Yes. This person could have sensitive information. They could work for family lawyers. They could be dealing with all sorts of things that are sensitive and need to be dealt with discreetly. So I said to the HR manager, I said that I don't make a habit of doing this, but I think the amount of negative things I get, maybe I should. But this is what this person said. Quite happy to email you a copy of it. She's obviously put in posts about you as her employer on Instagram. And, you know, I think you should seriously consider what sort of people that you employ. And what happened? So she got back to me a few days later. They took it really seriously, which I was really, really glad about. Mm. And the person had wrote me a letter of apology. Wow. Have you replied to that letter or no? But I don't need to reply to no, that. No, you don't. But, but people need to know that their actions have consequences. I mean, that's exactly. the way we... That's the way. And I think that's how people should deal with things. And if I think if people knew, okay, let's have a think about what I'm going to write. Because if I write that, how does it look to my employer hmm. if they found out, or my family, or my husband, or my children? Hmm. And I think if people started to think like that, then maybe think people would stop and hmm. think before they did things. Maybe not, but it's worth a try. Is your husband, how does he deal with trolls and all the rest of it? Jamie's the most laid-back person. (laughs) You very rarely get a rise out of him, even when he he has the most horrific things said about him as well. Unless it's family-related or it's to do with the kids, he just laughs it off. They're pathetic individuals just looking for attention. Mm -hmm. But the thing with him is he can channel that on the football pitch and he has a way to deal with it by whether it's a singing songs on the terraces about me when I was in the jungle and then seconds later he goes and scores a goal well that's two fingers up to the opposition fans isn't it but yeah he gets negative comments and it just pushes him on and spurs him on even more to succeed and do even better so how do you look after your mental health Becky what are the kind of things that you do on a daily basis or a weekly basis to make sure that you don't you said that some people call you Mardi Vardy, <laughs> that you don't sink into two, you know, like we could all be down and dance, but that you don't get kind of stuck there. I talk. I talk to my kids. I talk to Jamie. If I feel down, unfortunately, my manager, Caroline, has to take a lot of my um, moodiness. 
But I think talking really helps. Mm -hmm. You don't necessarily have to go to therapy every day to become well. Yes, I think that's a really good point that you can talk to anyone. And I think it's really important finding someone that you can trust. Mm -hmm. Trust is a big key when we're talking about our mental health or our problems. Because if you're talking to someone that you can't trust, you're not opening up and you're not releasing all of what you feel. And you've had that experience firsthand when you went to your mother. Because that's really interesting. People listening might think, oh, hey, I've got this thing that I want to tell someone about, but I'm worried that I'm going to get that reaction. What would your advice be? How do you kind of work out whether someone's going to give you a fair hearing? Who do you, who is the best person to go? Well, and I recently to? had someone on Instagram. I do obviously see majority of the messages, but this one person in particular, and I couldn't turn a blind eye to it because I was concerned about what the content of the message said. So I started engaging with this person, and this person opened up to me and told me a lot of things what had happened to them. And I encouraged that person to go to the police, but also to find someone that they could trust, to open up, to have those conversations with. And apparently this person is now a few months on doing so much better. Wow. Yeah, so when you're in a position like I am, it's so nice to be able to help other people, especially having been through the things I have in life. So you're taking negatives and turning them into positives. Yeah. Well done you. Becky, thank you so much for coming on. Thank you so much. I really much appreciate for it. Me. It's no like worries. really great to get a bit of a kind of idea of what you're like when you're at home. <laughs> <laughs> it's a pretty crazy house. But yeah, I'm just mum at the end of the day. What I think it? I'm just the same as everyone else. Balancing out, trying to get the kids ready for bed, having baths and cook Jamie's dinner and our dinner and it's just normal. I'm just normal, just as every other mum mm-hmm. trying to do their best for their kids. Leave it at that. If you've been affected by anything we've talked about in our podcast today, a comprehensive list of mental health services is available on our website, which is www.telegraph.co.uk forward slash madworld. If you want help right now, the following organisations offer free and confidential support over the phone. The Samaritans can be reached 24 hours a day, seven days a week on 116123. Or you can contact the mental health charity Mind for advice on a range of mental health issues. Their phone number is 0300-123-3393. That's 0300-123-3393. And they're accessible 9am to 5pm, Monday to Friday, excluding bank holidays. Finally, there's Young Minds, who provide support if you're a parent or a carer worried about a child's welfare. They're on 0808. 802-5544. That's 0808-802-5544. And remember this, you are not alone. Ever catch yourself eating the same flavorless dinner three days in a row? Dreaming of something better? Well, HelloFresh is your guilt-free dream come true, baby. It's me, Kiki Palmer. Let's wake up those taste buds with hot, juicy pecan-crusted chicken or garlic-butter shrimp scampi. Mm. Hello Fresh. Stop dreaming of all the delicious possibilities and dig in at HelloFresh.com. Let's get this dinner party started.